Story Club is a national storytelling performance group. Story Club was founded in Chicago in 2009 by Dana Norris. In the past decade, Story Club has expanded to more than half a dozen cities, including Boston, Minneapolis, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh. CNM was thrilled to bring Story Club to New Mexico in the spring semester of 2022. Students in the Department of Theater and Dance wrote, workshopped, and performed their own nonfiction stories for this seven-episode podcast series. Enjoy the show! Ray Charles, The Elephants, and Me by Bev Cromwell So there I was, covered in vomit and lying on the floor of my tent. My sister Naomi was standing over me, looking so worried, I started to cry. I remember the tent flap opening and closing, and people coming to help. But I was exhausted, and I just wanted them to leave so I could get some sleep. Why was I risking my life to climb a mountain when all I wanted to do was see some wild animals? And who was playing that Ray Charles music so loud? Let me back up. When Naomi first asked me if I wanted to join her on a trip to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, I laughed out loud and said, no. See, I've traveled a lot, but I had never been to Africa, and I didn't see the point of going all the way across the world to climb rocks with a bunch of other Americans in Africa. Naomi wanted to do the climb as sort of a 30th birthday bucket list kind of thing, which I understood. But I went into the Army right after high school and felt I had learned everything I needed to know from that experience. Namely, that I'm strong, I'm fit, and I can endure hardship. But also, I don't like gear, I don't like hardship, and I do not like sleeping and pooping outdoors. And you know, as an African-American, I wanted to go to Africa to meet the people, hear their music and languages, and also to go on safari. I once had a chance to pet an elephant, and I never forgot it. If you've ever touched a stone wall after it's been warmed by the sun, it's like that, except the wall is slowly swaying back and forth as it inhales and exhales. There's no wildlife on Kilimanjaro. Oh, no thanks. But Naomi came back at me a couple of weeks later with a modified proposal, the Kilimanjaro climb, but one where there was an army of porters who rushed ahead with our belongings and set up camp with sleeping tents, a dining tent, and even a bathroom tent, while we climbers carried our day packs with our cameras and snacks and water. And that would be followed by a 10-day luxury safari across Tanzania. A glamping and a luxury safari? Oh, that's more my speed. Count me in. I worked out for about six months to get in shape and grudgingly bought the gear, the hiking boots and the long johns, etc. But we were swamped at work, and I never got a chance to try climbing at any significant altitude. But I was in the best shape I'd ever been in in years, and I was fairly confident I could do this silly thing. Our group of 12 arrived in Arusha late at night. There wasn't much time to get to know everyone very well, but it was clear to me that these folks were really into mountain climbing. They were all comparing notes about what other treks they'd done, What's the best gear? What mountains they were planning to climb next? I listened closely, hoping some of their enthusiasm would wear off, but no. They were looking forward to the next day to start the climb, and I was looking forward to the week afterward when we could start the safari. 
Mount Kilimanjaro is 19,341 feet high. But climbing it is a non-technical climb, meaning you don't need any oxygen or special equipment. And it's not part of a mountain range. It's just sitting there all by itself, which I guess is part of its appeal. And as you climb Kilimanjaro, you pass through five separate climate zones. There's bushland, rainforest, heather, alpine desert, and arctic. But I experienced all this as trees, mud, fog, rocks, and, well, there's no need to talk about that last one. On our first day, Naomi had some nausea, and we fell behind the rest of the group. But as the day progressed, she started feeling better, and she was fine. And so was I. I was keeping up and feeling good. You know how you feel when your muscles are all loose and your blood is pumping? You're in good shape and you're up to the challenge. Yeah, like that. But inside my head, I was ready for this to be over. When we'd stop to take a break for water or take in a view, I'd walk to the edge and try to feel some kind of inspiration or sense of accomplishment. But all I felt was impatience. I knew something was wrong when I woke up on the fourth day. It wasn't just the nausea or the lack of appetite. There was also the Ray Charles song, Hallelujah, I Love Her So, blasting on a continuous loop inside my head. Why this song? I couldn't tell you. I mean, I like it, but I probably hadn't heard it in years. And it was so loud, I actually looked around to see if maybe somebody was playing it on a radio or a CD player. Let me tell you about a girl I know. She's my baby and she lives next door. We started the day at 12,500 feet, and the plan was to go up to 15,000 feet, and then back down to 12,500 to jumpstart acclimatization. In the morning when the sun comes up, she brings me coffee in my favorite cup. By noon, I was in big trouble. I stumbled every 10 or 15 feet, unable to judge where to even put my feet. That's how I know, oh, I know, hallelujah, I just love her so. Before long, I could barely walk a straight line. I drank all my water, and Naomi gave me hers, but she had spiked it with some tang to make it taste better. But a few minutes later, I leaned forward and left a bright orange puddle on the side of Mount Kilimanjaro. After that, I was doing so poorly, our guide had to grab me by the arm and literally drag me all the way back to camp. I had hoped that I would start feeling better once we got back to camp, but that's not at all what happened. Naomi went to get one of the guys in our group who was a doctor while I lay down and tried to get my bearings. The doc came and gave me a few things to make me feel better, but each time I just threw it back up. I couldn't keep anything down. So I lay on my stomach with the basin under my chin and making good use of it while Naomi went to talk to the doc again. The next thing I remember was someone screaming, and Naomi holding me by my shoulders. My face was all wet, and I was so confused and startled, I started to cry. Turns out, I had fallen face first into the basin, and yes, almost drowned in my own sick. Then, I had something that I guess was close to a seizure. My hands, feet, and chin began flapping uncontrollably. This really scared me. And then it made me really angry. Seriously, I finally get to Africa, and I almost die while trying to climb a stupid mountain? 
I spent the rest of the night hallucinating hard. Random images outlined in neon green swirled above my head. It went on for hours, but at some point, I took a deep breath and finally went to sleep. Did you know that when you suffer altitude sickness on Mount Kilimanjaro, there is no team of medics, no muscular mountain patrol, no medevac helicopter standing by to whisk you back to safety? Yeah, you're expected to walk back down under your own steam. When the guides first told me that, I thought they were joking. When I realized they were serious, I thought, okay, fine. They'll have to figure out what to do when I start convulsing and singing Ray Charles songs. Naomi asked if I minded that she wanted to continue the climb. Of course not. She was doing great and so close to her goal. And it turns out two other members of our group, Mike and Shannon, were also headed back that day. They were suffering from exhaustion and had developed colds, which is not recommended above 10,000 feet. So I'd have company. And I couldn't believe it. But the more we descended, the better I felt. By midday, I realized I I was going to be okay. And by the time we reached base camp, it was hard to believe I'd had such a bad time. I felt amazing. Mike asked what we should do first. Get a drink at the bar or get a shower. I shut down all discussion when I said I wanted the shower so I could wash all the vomit out of my hair. The tour company had arranged a day safari for us the following day while we waited for everyone else to finish the climb. And our driver told us we were getting close. And he turned a corner. In front of us, there was a wide field of tall grass, that crazy bright green color of early spring, and baobab trees scattered here and there, and dozens, maybe hundreds of elephants, huge old bulls, majestic mamas, and Adorable little wobbly baby elephants, just everywhere. The driver moved the vehicle closer. I thought dangerously close, and he cut the engine. But it wasn't silent. There were distant bird calls, and then the sound of elephant trunks pulling up large tufts of grass, and the chomping sound of their teeth as they chewed their food. My eyes filled with tears and I finally thought, oh my God, I'm in Africa. (laughs) 